Welcome to the Higher Education Leadership Foundation's podcast, Four Thoughts of Our Founders. I am Herman Felton, one of uh, the five founders here. We're on the campus of Wiley College. It's probably the best time of year. Graduation is in the air. Um, and I have the pleasure of being with some good friends who are also subject matter experts in a lot of different areas. Uh, one of them happened to be uh, Reverend Matthew L. Watley, who is the senior pastor of Kingdom Fellowship AME uh, Church. And the other is Reggie Bean, who is a extraordinarily um, vibrant, forward-thinking progressive leader in the uh, private sector uh, not that Matthew isn't all those things in in his space um, but Reggie is a, a young man with coke um, and I've had the pleasure of uh, meeting these brothers in, in different spaces and to our surprise uh, they actually know each other um, but I'm going to give them an opportunity uh, to introduce himself, but uh, just uh, as we typically do with our podcast, uh, want to reintroduce to um, others and introduce to some uh, who we are here at Health. And we, we like to um, basically surmise that by saying uh, what we believe in, and that is we believe in the importance of HBCUs, we believe in preparing visionary leadership and we believe in developing leadership and the best practices uh, to share with the masses. So we're going to get started today. And, and, and today we're having a conversation centered around um, emotional intelligence, uh, its values and two of my favorite topics, mentorship and leadership. But before we do that, I want to pass this microphone over uh, over to Matthew Watley to introduce himself. Um, and then on to Reggie. Matthew, welcome, brother. Glad to be here, and thanks so much for the opportunity yes, and to uh, walk the hallowed ground of Wiley College and uh, find myself uh, overwhelmed with excitement about uh, not only what's happening this weekend, but what's uh, been happening uh, as a part of this institution's legacy, and of course, what you're adding to it as its leader. Appreciate that, and, brother. Uh, so we're excited about it. Uh, I've, uh, I've been in in the gospel ministry for over 20 years mm -hmm. and uh, served a former church, Reed Temple Amy Church, for actually 20 years. Uh, and uh, we've since have uh, taken several of the campuses separately uh, to form Kingdom Fellowship Amy Church. And uh, uh, we had a great first day, had about 5,000 folks as our first <laughs> first day uh, since we transferred the folks over from the former campus and uh, we're off to the races and excited about it. I'm, my thing is leadership. I love leadership. Sir. Uh, I've spent the majority of my uh, professional career outside of ministry in the study, formal study of leadership mm -hmm. uh, at Georgetown, George Washington, and Fuller uh, Seminary. I think that everything, as John Maxwell says, rises and falls on leadership. And I certainly think that as African Americans uh, in particular, uh, it has been our understanding and commitment to powerful leadership that has allowed us uh, to overcome uh, the systematic uh, forces of oppression uh, that have brought us to these shores and now have allowed us even to make it to the White House. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, I mean, I, I do want you to uh, give some uh, really important information about your undergraduate studies. Um, there's a place that you attended that is um, 
has a very uh, unique nickname. Uh, you want to share that with the audience? Well, I went to HU and okay. Howard University uh, has been uh, pivotal in my life in terms of shaping my worldview. Uh, coming uh, from majority uh, white institutions up until that point, uh, Howard was the first place I got to see black excellence as the standard um, and to just be one of the number. Mm. And so it was tremendously uh, engaging and, and empowering to meet literal princes from Africa mm -hmm. and to uh, meet persons that were from legacied black families. Yeah. And so um, Howard was great for me. I went there undergrad as poli-sci major, black politics major, Afro-American studies minor. Um, then I uh, returned uh, for grad school, did my master's of divinity there. Had the opportunity to serve at the Andrew Rankin Memorial Chapel. So, as the grad assistant, I got to meet Bishop Tutu and Bishop Jakes and uh, host uh, Vernon Jordan and um, Gardner Taylor and some of the greatest preachers in the nation. Uh, so, it was just a, a tremendously uh, formational space for me and has shaped not only my professional life, but also my worldview sociologically, politically, educationally, uh, and academically. We, we will also mention that Matthew is a third-generation minister, and he's also uh, the son of a, an HBCU president. Um, you want to share with them? When I, was, when I was six years old, we moved from Flushing, Queens, New York, to Waco, Texas, where my father became the youngest president in the United States at the time of an uh, institution of higher learning, Paul Quinn College, uh, before I relocated to Dallas, Texas. And so... Uh, I, it's been a joy to come back to Wiley, to Texas, because uh, for one thing, I got to eat some crawfish. So it's, <laughs> I've, I've been blessed already. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but but in addition to that, um, uh, I did I did sort of color outside of my father's uh, footsteps in one regard. He pledged uh, Phi Beta Sigma. Okay. And uh, I pledged Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity okay. Incorporated, the All Beta right. Chapter at Howard University. My man, my man. Welcome to uh, Health and uh, welcome to Wiley. Uh, Matthew is also uh, here tonight as uh, our baccalaureate speaker. Um, the college uh, is uh, moving uh, back to its roots. Uh, we have not had a baccalaureate service in 25 years. And so Matthew is going to um, open that thing back up for us tonight. Um, so welcome to uh, Wiley and uh, welcome to Health. Uh, Reggie, Brother Felton, welcome, my brother. Thanks for having me. No stranger to Wiley, no, no. stranger to health. Um, why don't you share with the people a little bit about who uh, Mr. Reggie Bean is? Wow, uh, which one of these tracks do I start with? Um, I think uh, just uh, you know we know where you're from, uh, or I do actually. Just give us a you know a quick biography and uh, talk talk to us a little bit about your education and um, and uh, your. Uh, professional uh, exploits. Yeah, so started my started my leadership, more importantly, my emotional intelligence journey on Six Mile in Greenfield in the uh, in Detroit, Michigan. Um, le learned a lot, you know, that I still use today from an emotional intelligence standpoint. Um, had the uh, pleasure of serving uh, with Uncle Sam in the Army seven years. Um, thank you for your service, bro. No, thank thank you as well. Um, you know, my first pivotal point in life was as I was serving in the military. So I uh, was military intelligence, seven years in, went in at 17, uh, had a chance to uh, travel the world, um, but really got a chance to get to know people, mm -hmm. you know, the, the common thread of people. So whether it was living out in the Bay, 
living in Colorado, uh, spent two years in South Korea, which was that first pivotal point, pivotal point in life. Uh, realized really the focus on education globally, mm-hmm. and um, you know how uh, serious other nations, countries took education, particularly in Asia. Uh, that's when I realized, like, hey, you know, we gotta if we continue with this 30% dropout rate in our communities, we're gonna fall behind really, really fast, and we're seeing that play out today. Yeah. Um, uh, after um, serving in the military, uh, started my uh, educational journey as a non-traditional student, you know, at the University of South Carolina. Um, had a chance to join uh, Coca-Cola in Columbia, South Carolina. Had has had a variety of roles uh, from finance operations, strategy, long-term planning, um, uh, uh, sales analytics, consumer behavior, uh, market segmentation, and now I lead our culture and engagement with uh, Coca-Cola based in Charlotte. Hmm. Um, Detroit, um, Coke, um, I'm just trying to pull a couple of things that I know about you that would be uh, good um, to share before we begin this uh, this conversation, um, uh, you both are married. Uh, well, Reggie's not married, but uh, fathers, um, great great men. Um, but Reggie and I met uh, at a in a conference room, um, and it was his frustration uh, at a meeting at at uh, Livingstone College that he uh, bolted out of, and I chased him down. Uh, and we had a meeting after the meeting uh, in the parking lot yeah. on Price Drive. Um, and Matthew, uh, this brother, uh, came into my space, or I came into his space through my wife, uh, um, his wife, Shauna, and, and my wife, Catherine, are um, really good friends. Uh, Shauna is somewhat of a mentor to, to Catherine. But these two brothers actually know each other they walked into the office today and have been in the same space and i was thinking uh this weekend i knew this weekend was coming and i was thinking about um how do we do uh what i love to do uh, which is talk about mentorship leadership uh, and also social um or the emotional intelligence piece knowing that both of you are are students uh of of those spaces Mm -hmm. So, you know, today what we are about at Health is preparing the next pipeline and studying uh, mentorship, which I did formally for my dissertation, um, you came to understand this common thread of success uh, was a, a strong mentorship with the leaders, the current leaders, whether they were um, past presidents or, or sitting presidents, they all talked about the value of mentorship. And what also came out of that was this deep um, understanding of the emotional intelligence and how important it was. And through various conversations, we've, we've talked about those things. So is it esoteric? Is emotional intelligence, we'll start there. Is this some esoteric notion that only a few understand uh, and I raise that question because it feels like it. It feels like um, even in the educational space, and I, I love the diversity that we have here. We have the ministry and we have the the, the professional space, uh, corporate space, and I'm in education. But I wanna explore uh, through your prisms, your experiences, 
whether or not there are some commonalities uh, between the people that we work with, our teammates and people in the same industry. So is emotional intelligence really important for a company or a church? Um, is, is it important uh, for these places to be viable and, and thrive? I guess we can start there. So, you know, if you think about the notion of either leadership or mentorship, uh, is, is often where we start in, uh, on this journey to success, um, on this journey, should I say. But if you think about the classic definition of emotional intelligence, it's the, um, it's the ability to be aware of one's emotion, to be able to control your emotions, to be able to express your emotions, but also to be able to handle the emotions that come along with relationships. Mm -hmm. And so I would say you can't be a good mentor if you don't have good emotional intelligence because you're not aware of your own emotions and you can't handle the relational aspect of the relationship. Uh, likewise, you can't be a great leader if you have a low IQ, uh, excuse me, low EQ score, mm -hmm. right? So you can't be a good leader if you can't inspire those others to follow you through managing your emotions, managing relationships. And so um, I would say uh, it is important. It, to, to, to me, it's the most important component of the mentorship and leadership because you have to be able to manage the emotions and the relational, uh, the relationships or the uh, relational equity that comes along with it. And I don't think it's a common, I don't think it's as common as it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think about um, the great leaders aren't great because of their technical skills or their technical ability. They're great because they can manage and relegate emotions mm -hmm. and they can really ma uh, maximize relationships. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that all businesses are people businesses at the end of the day, whether it's academic, ministry, uh, corporate, whatever the field. At the end of the day, it's a people business. We may produce different things through different means, but at mm -hmm. the end of the day, you're working with people which require uh, mastery of a certain number of skill sets in order to be communicative, accountable, liked, mm -hmm. uh, to have influence. It, it, it's just a people business. And so the extent to which people falter in that area is the extent to which they limit themselves. Uh, generally, um, expert power will take you only so far, but in a global marketplace of human capital, you're competing against skilled people from around the world. What differentiates, and I know you see this all the time, in hiring and in promotion is not generally the technical skill, which at a certain mean level of intelligence, one assumes others can master, uh, can, can, can learn and master technical skill. It really becomes the ability to master the soft skills that we call emotional intelligence. I think that there's an interesting, probably, distinction we need to make um, as our society continues to almost spiral into the emotional intelligence space, I do think there are some limits. I think that um, our, for a generation who's been raised with us emphasizing emotional intelligence so much, I think it's important that we provide some boundaries and some frames and some anchors so that the entire, their entire existence is not uh, defined by the emotion. And, and, and to give you a frame for that, uh, we see that, as an example, African-American suicide rate is rising uh, dramatically. Mm -hmm. But we've actually been leaning into the emotional space mm -hmm. while it's rising dramatically. So you have to say, from the historical frame, is it that the African-American existence is that much more difficult now than, as per se, slavery or segregation? Mm -hmm. I think the general answer would probably be no. And so what is it about the way that we're doing emotional intelligence while 
trying to be empowering is actually maybe taking the legs out from uh, what we're trying to provide? Or is it that and that because of social media and other influences, mm -hmm. uh, people are simply not getting some of the foundational things that they need to couple with emotional intelligence. So because we are less faith people, yeah. because we are less uh, ostensibly African conscious people. Or, or more entitlement people. Yeah, Th that all that then creates an emotional fragility mm -hmm. so that when life happens, I have nothing by which to say, while my feelings may be hurt, my life is not over because right. I'm more than my feelings. The two are, are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, w why I think this, this conversation is important and, and something that I, I, I will probably talk about for, you know, the foreseeable future is because of my daily interactions with, um, you know, the, a wide, a wide swath of, of people, right? That multi-generational leadership dictates, or when you're managing a multi-generations, um, you see it all. You see the, the millennials, you see um, the Gen Y and Xers, you see the baby boomers. Um, and if you're lucky enough or you may see some of the the greatest, you know, the, the greatest generation, um, and they they move differently, they operate differently, they expect things differently. Um, what let's talk about some of the challenges that come along with uh, the lack of, and and talk about some of the experiences where you see highly functioning, emotionally intelligent people, um, and I'll, I'll start with. Um, with entitlements, um, and I'm not going to, you know, blast um, the, the the millennials, but it has been my experience in my 13 years in higher education um, that there is a, a level of entitlement there that wrecks uh, careers uh, before they before they even began. Mm -hmm. um, is this something that we are um, experiencing solely in higher education, or do you experience this as leaders of a mega church and a, a vice president of culture and stewardship mm -hmm. at uh, a Fortune 500 company? Yeah, yeah. I would say um, every generation has its entitlement. Mm -hmm. They're just different, right? So whether um, uh, a a baby boomer is entitled to a uh, a parking spot, or a millennial feel, feels entitled to a certain um, 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 uh, frequency of promotion or whatever, mm -hmm. or Gen Z feels entitled to you know whatever. But I'd say every generation has their entitlement mm -hmm. and just understanding what they are and why they exist. Like how did how did how did those things come come to be? Right. So we're all influenced on the generation, the things that happened in the generation prior to us, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the things that shape us and who we are. So if we say the millennial generation has this, um, um, this, this microwave mentality, well, look at what they're growing up with. You know, most of, most of the things that they have access to are instantaneous. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew and I were talking yesterday over lunch. We were talking about how, um, 
you know, we're in our mid forties, mm -hmm. uh, all of us, mm -hmm. and we were talking about what the benefit of having to go outside and play. Um, you know, what what benefits derive from that, mm -hmm. right? You you learned how to um, fight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you learned or, how or to lose gracefully, or to lose gracefully, <laughs> or run fast, <laughs> or run fast. fast. <laughs> I like that one. Um, you learned more importantly um, that it was for the moment that fight mm -hmm. uh, didn't end your friendships or your um, or your life or mm -hmm. your life, mm -hmm. right? So conflict resolution you learned uh, mm -hmm. in some instances. In some instances, you didn't uh, when you didn't have any other choice. But ingenuity came about, right? We had to make up baseball fields mm -hmm. uh, with garbage bags and a rock to hold on to them and we had a tennis ball and a, and a you know a mop uh, stick for for a bat right um, or a milk crate for your your hoop you're playing basketball or right. whatever the case may be so ingenuity came um, there's a there's a level of um, you know creativity that is in our DNA I think from from that time um, I don't know that um, that experience, and not they're all different, right? Mm -hmm. The baby boomers had a different experience from, from ours. But I've found that those who um, did not have those experiences where they were forced to develop those skill sets that unbeknownst to them would be beneficial later, they've come with a different set of challenges. And that doesn't mean that they're deficient, but they're just a different set of challenges. Um, and that, that's posed problems um, for them um, by way of, uh, of their ascendancy um, in the ranks of, of higher education, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd certainly see that in, in my space. Um, I mean, the whole, I actually did a little piece of a sermon where I commented on the whole hashtag adulting that it's actually a thing to have to pay bills, go to work regularly, be evaluated and held accountable, as opposed to it was an aspiration for us. I mean, so I left for Howard as a freshman and never returned home because I was raised to go. I was raised to leave. Raised I, to be an adult. I was raised to be, and I wanted to be one. I wanted to have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. I wanted to own a house, a car. I mean, that was, you know, uh, we, we mentor a number of uh, young people now who don't have licenses because mm -hmm. they Uber, but the issue was not even just transportation. It was the idea uh, that I have a license mm -hmm. that makes me an adult. I mean, Empowered. An, an adult is what I want to be, Yeah. right? As opposed to a burden of responsibility that, that locks me into not living my best life. So I think that the frame is different. Um, I think that uh, there, there's a study that talks about how, how the average millennials, their tenure is less than two years, uh, that they prefer a coach rather than a boss, and that 79% of them would quit work and work for themselves if they could. So there's an expectation that sort of uh, someone's gonna pour into me, it's gonna mentor me, but I don't really necessarily have a responsibility to stick with the place that has poured into me. Now I get it because there also is a high level of institutional suspicion in this generation for a good reason. They've mm -hmm. seen government fail, and they've seen schools fail, and all kinds of institutions fail. And so they're saying, listen, I'm not gonna have any social security. I, I don't have this you know, New Deal expectation, so I've gotta look out for myself. What we've tried to share with our mentees is, while, all while there will always be other opportunities, at some point you have to just set your anchor and, and stay someplace that you can grow up. Some things take time. And as long as you're jumping over, it's more lateral. You have to sort of, at some point, recognize 
it's never going to be optimal. This is good enough for me to grow, stay a little while, so that once I do make my next move, mm-hmm. it's really to a higher level. Mm-hmm. So, so I get both sides. I think that the ultimate goal uh, is to create a intergenerational uh, workspace yeah. where the shadows sides of each group and the strengths of each group can mm-hmm. sort of uh, work with one another, and we can code switch. So, for instance, you know. Uh, Millennials tend to be emotional to the extent to which they are expressive of how they're feeling and don't feel the need to filter that. So a a millennial is more likely to get upset at work, go and pick up their phone and blast out their boss, whatever they're mad about on social media. Whereas a, (laughs) which is, yeah, not necessarily the best thing for (laughs) one's career, but at the same time, a baby boomer won't Facebook or or tweet or uh, IG about it. They'll set a political trap which can destroy them and the, and the institution. So neither is right or wrong as much as the, the millennial probably should be a little more political and the, 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 the baby boomer could probably be a little more sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. And so once we learn to code switch and appreciate the fact that none of us owns the right to everything, then I think you can create an environment where you get the best of each generation. So yeah. we're adulting. We, we want everybody to know that we're paying bills and... Um, doing stuff that we're actually supposed to be doing. Supposed to be doing, yeah. Yeah. I'll go back to your point on the value, at least how we grew up, right? And so um, the the thing that Matthew mentioned earlier on, um, even in this space where we're driving home uh, emotional intelligence, you still see suicide rates increasing, isolation increasing, all those things. Um, You know, some of the things that, that, that... my emotional intelligence was formed growing up in Detroit, right? So understanding how to manage my emotion, right? So if I'm walking down six miles, seven mile, Finkel, wherever that was, somebody bumped into me, I got to regulate. I got, I got to quickly assess how do I respond, mm-hmm. right? So if I had to go and knock on my buddy's door to see if he was home, to see if he wanted to come out and play a game of make-believe baseball, um, well, I got to be able to, uh, uh, talk, speak to his mom or speak to his dad properly. Properly ask for you know ask for can such and such come out and play you know if we got into a fight you had to learn how to resolve and so all those things that I learned then I still mm-hmm. use now real time analysis real time analysis yeah. right so I had to develop the courage to go and ask you know whoever you know Toya who lived two houses down. You know, if you want to walk to the store with me, we're going to grab some now letters. You couldn't just slide through the DM. Couldn't just yeah. slide into the DM, right? So <laughs> you, you had to knock at somebody's door. You had to look them in the eye. First, you had to deal with their parents. Can can Toya come outside, And which which required courage? Then you had to, you know, when she came to the door, when you had to say what you needed to say, right? And so all those things that, that developed then... I still use now, and so I think um, you know some of the with technology, you know, technological advances. There comes a, a deficiency in some of those other areas, right? So it's easy now. You can just slide into somebody's DM. You don't necessarily have to look anybody in the eye. You don't have to have the courage to do those things, right? So those are things that um, that built up the resilient that the resiliency that that's missing now, right? Yeah. So the grit, the resiliency that coupled with the emotional intelligence, I think you have a great leader or potential great mentor or mentee. Well, that was, I mean, so you, you hit an excellent point in terms of the limitations of technology. So we know that research says that 80% of communication is nonverbal, right? And so if it's nonverbal, but I primarily communicate with everyone through text, that means they're getting 20% of what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. How many times have you read a text wrong? 
because even with emo emoticons and emojis, you still couldn't figure out what they were really saying. There's something about tone, there's something about the reactivity of one's facial expression, mm -hmm. one's physical uh, carriage that communicates a lot. And so you see this a lot when people have been primarily communicating through technology. They can't tell when something's about to jump off. Mm -hmm. no. I saw it coming a mile away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's not going to go well for you in right. about two minutes. Yeah. And you were surprised. And I don't know why you weren't surprised. Oh, I do know why. Because you don't know cues. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or, or you don't have, as I, you know, I have a 17-year-old daughter. And I, and I always say, she doesn't have that spidey sense that something's about to jump off. That's yeah. exactly You right. know, she's walking and she's oblivious. And I'm like, yeah, you may want to pick up the pace. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we're, we're hanging out in D.C. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this... This is about to go, yeah, yeah, we need to, you know, but she doesn't have that sense because a lot of her communication is done electronically. Well, yeah. it, it, and even to that extent, you know, my daughter's eight. And I said to her the other day, I said, so you really can't tell when it's about to shift in here, can you? You can't tell when mommy's <laughs> had enough and she's about to rearrange your whole world. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not clicking for you. Yeah. But, you know, my parents had a way of communicating non-verbally. Oh, yeah, the That eyeball. gave me, yeah. oh, not just the eyeballs. Yeah. So I had a sense, right? Yeah, yeah, I had a sense yeah. like there's yeah, about to be it. heat like, let, brought me, into my life. Let me shut this down. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, but but my daughter, she didn't have it, and so she's normally my test group. If if our communication is failing, and and it's just something that just didn't happen, I'm like either you said something and I didn't receive it, or I said something that you didn't receive it. But oftentimes, as I'm trying to talk verbally to her, and she may say. Well, Dad, why are you overreacting? No, that's my tone that something's about to shift. Yeah. I, I'm not overreacting. I'm trying to give you some cues yeah. <laughs> that if we go <laughs> that down you this, didn't pick up yeah, on. That if we stay down this path, yeah. something's going to go wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this is, this is really good because we're, we're, we're looking at it not, not um, with malice from a deficient standpoint, but as leaders, what, what is our responsibility to that group that can't, um, acknowledge a shift or they, they can't pick up their tentacles are not yet made ready to be sensitive to, you know, the shifting times, uh, when it comes to, uh, the workspace. So I have four generations that report to me. I, I have people I have three people on my team. That's the same age as my mom. And I have two people on my team that are 22 years old. And so there's a wide range of expectations within one team. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I've learned to do over the years is uh, I have to sit them, down, sit them down and ask them, how do you prefer to be communicated to? Mm. What's your communication style? Wow. And so, because we're, we're always missing each other, not intentionally, not, not out of malice, but the baby boomer has an expectation that this is how I like to be communicated to, whether good news, bad news, checking in, whatever, um, there's a there's a book that I read. Um, many of us are familiar with the five love languages. There's a five languages of appreciation as well. And mm. so just learning how people like to be appreciated, learning how people like to be communicated to, I've had to learn how to do that because we all have different styles generationally. And, and if my um, Gen Z wants me to text him or her, or they want to be, old, so you know, the first time I had somebody text me and tell me they were gonna be late for a meeting, I lost it. Like, how do you, how do you text me and tell me you're gonna be late? Mm -hmm. But that's normal for them. They text their mom, they text their friends, and they and see so nothing wrong. They with see nothing that. wrong with them, yeah. and and I have to be okay with that mm -hmm. as their communication style. Yeah. Um, however, you know, I have a boomer that they won't ever text me. They need to call me for everything. Yeah, and I'm like, no, I'm in a meeting. Just go ahead and text me. 
And so, again, differences in communication style, but as a leader, I had to understand the differences and the dynamics on the team and, and, and kind of meet them where they were. That's that transformational leadership, right? Like, you, I, I grew up in a, a space, or even my, my career, I came up with people who weren't necessarily interested in how I wanted to be communicated to. Mm-hmm. Didn't really care. Gave me the information and I responded the way I needed to, and how I responded, whether it hurt my feelings or not, was really not a well, concern of that. So, so I'm sitting over here amazed right now because I got the two military guys talking all this. You know, we got to be careful. And careful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm sitting over like, yeah, forget all that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said what I said the first time. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Um, no. But so, I mean, but what I'm saying is I, I find it amazing because you all have a common experience of a culture that does not care, mm-hmm. that is designed not to care mm-hmm. because the stakes are too high. Mm-hmm. We don't have time to decide whether you prefer because we're trying to take a hill, we're trying to take somebody out, we're trying right. to save lives, right? right? And so I actually I actually play in the space in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I refuse to to shift the locus of authority so much so that it is whatever sort of your preference is, mm-hmm. because as you scale, I can't be everything to everybody. Right. So I've tried to create a middle ground where people have influence and input, mm-hmm. but I've already shaped the frame. Mm-hmm. Right. So I will I will try to meet you within this margin yeah. where you are. It, but there's a certain level that if you can't come to, you're not going to be very successful. No, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I and and and, let me, and and that for that premise right there is offensive to some. To a lot, because, not some. Because it's no I mean so uh there are there are law firms where people's parents are calling in because they got a bad quarterly assessment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this ain't school. This right. is a law firm, right? Right. This is a professional environment. Mm-hmm. But if you've been raised with, you know, participation trophies and you know helicopter yeah. parenting mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. then that becomes normative. So at some point, somebody has to bite the bullet and say, okay, so that's been your story up till now. Yeah. And it may continue to be your story, but it won't be your story here. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and you don't get the right to file suit because because there's actually nothing illegal and ethical about it. This is what's called life beyond your space. Absolutely. And the challenge for many of our millennials is they are open to the conversation that there's sufficient relational equity and trust where I I believe that you have my best interest. Right. What I'm trying to get them to see is at some point you're going to have to get that conversation even when there's not relational equity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and, and just out of fairness, and and I had to catch myself, uh, you know, a, a few days ago, um, it, it's not just the millennials. Mm-hmm. Oh no, no Absolutely doubt, not. no doubt, no, no. You no, know, no. It, it's Gen Absolutely. Xers, it's yeah. Gen Zs. I, we all know. have a millennial mentality. Sure, yeah, Absolutely, yeah. 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 It's a, because the behavior that we define as millennial blurs really into every every one of them. Every, mm-hmm. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, I think about this as parents as well, right? And so, as parents, how are we are we managing or setting the right expectation for our children? Mm-hmm. Right, so a lot of the behaviors are set by our parents, mm-hmm. and so are we as parents setting up. So, so are we afraid to let our children fail? Mm-hmm. Oh, of course we are. Or are we trying to catch them and call in mm-hmm. when their feelings are hurt when somebody mm-hmm. told them that they weren't performing well? Yeah. Right. So as parents, there's no way that a parent should be calling in saying, "My son, who's a professional attorney, is their feelings are hurt because they got a bad review." Yeah. When the parent wasn't there when they were coming in late or 
you know, deficient in their responsibilities and all those. So as parents, I, I, I generally look at, you know, what, what am I contributing to their behavior? Yeah. yeah. They, they are the result of the environment that we've Absolutely. created. Absolutely. We've created. Choices, yeah. We've Absolutely. And, and the other piece is to the extent to which we have created this false world is that, that we have left them vulnerable and ill-equipped to deal mm-hmm. with the real world. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I absolutely agree that, that we have to take responsibility for the world that we have shaped for them and, and, and in some way try to rescue them from the world that we created mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, I thought I heard you say earlier is when you left for Howard, you didn't come back, right? So to me, that's success as a parent. That's when you can pop champagne and slap high five when my son or daughter didn't return home. And here's what I didn't say. I lived on First Street. This is before D.C. became gentrified. I lived on First Street between U and V. Uh, in a basement apartment that I uh, rented out with two of my frat brothers next to a crack house. And we made our peace with what was going on next door. They didn't mess with us. We didn't mess with them. But I would rather have done that and waited till 4 o'clock on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when McDonald's sold 29-cent hamburgers and 39-cent cheeseburgers so I could go down with a dollar five That's and right. get three. Three. That, that <laughs> I would rather have done that than to go and eat in the comfort of my, home, my parents' home for the summer mm-hmm. because I was raised to be grown. Mm-hmm. Now... That's a different space than the mentality that says, hey, listen, we want to do tiny houses because we want to be bound to mortgages. And, you know, I can just Uber because I'm not trying to be bound with a car note. Yeah. And I'm saying, yeah, but at some point, if yeah. you own a car and it all goes bad, you still got some place to live. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's a different. And so and so uh, trying to to recreate a world for to replace the false world that we create, I mm-hmm. think is a challenge that now we have to take responsibility as, for. As sure. leaders. But, and but, but yeah, that transitions from parents to leaders mm-hmm. as well because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the common denominator are the, the children or the, you know, the, 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 the workers. The workers, Or yeah. the teammates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As I, I, excuse me, as I like to refer to, yeah, everybody that I work with, whether I was working for a president or or I had, I now being a president, every everybody's a teammate for mm-hmm. me. But, you know, that, that transformational leadership, um, people would view that question um, or that, that, that scenario that you had, Reggie, about asking a student or a person how they um, would prefer to be communicated. A lot of us don't have the luxury of doing that. I know that it would be a much more optimal practice for me to sit down with you know, my Gen X's and say, hey, how do I communicate with you? Because I want to get this right. Or the baby boomers, you know, sir, what 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 works best for you? I don't have the luxury for that, nor am I. Um, I don't know that I'm emotionally intelligent to even ask that question. Um, I don't I don't even know if I want to ask that question um, because of um, I'm managing a distressed asset you're you're a part of a multi-billion dollar corporation mm-hmm. there's some luxuries that that have that you have that i don't have yeah um and so neither is bad sure neither is let me be very clear neither is bad but i would like the the luxury of being able to sit down and calmly say matthew you know we we seem to have our hairs crossed here a little bit you want to tell me uh, what's the best way that i can tell you that you uh are underperforming do you would you mind sharing that with me yeah you know but 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 some of that as a leader 
is is setting the tone, right? So I can say that. So if I have 55 people reporting to me, I only have five direct reports. Right. So I'm only having that conversation with five people, not 55 people. Mm-hmm. And and that um, that tone vacillates depending on Who? The, the the environment. Right. Right. So last year we had. Um, the worst financial performance that we've had in uh, the 100 years of our company. At Coke. At Coke. Hmm. My tone was very different then than it is when we just had a record-breaking quarter that just finished up. And so there's sometimes where a democracy rules, mm-hmm. and that there's sometimes where a dictator comes in and says, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Right? And, so, and they know that. Right? So I'm, I'm, let me set the context. Yeah. This is kind of going to be a one-way conversation. Yeah. You know, we're stressed. We're stressed. Like there isn't a there isn't a two-way street. But um, but but the the, the um, stress uh, can't be met with innovation, right? So there's there's you know when it's time to innovate. Yeah, I need your feedback. Yeah, yeah. I need it to be a two-way street because I can't solve these problems by myself, right? And so when it's when it's stress and strain, yeah, it's more of a one-way. That, that 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 speaks to leaders understanding who they are leading and understanding also that there are different points of motivation um, and different ways to motivate. Mm-hmm. Um, some people I know that I can uh, quite frank quite frankly uh, use a couple of colorful um, you know words and they won't miss a beat. And there are some folks that I know that I absolutely cannot do anything but speak softly and slowly to. And in a lot of ways, I guess that really is me understanding how to to manage uh, the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. I guess that would be a you know a an example of um, exerting or exercising the emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's important for our, our our institutions. We know as leaders of these assets, uh, these HBCUs, that in a lot of ways we're one administration away from a catastrophic uh, occurrence. Um, more bluntly, a college closing down. Either it closing, not necessarily in that administration, but being clearly on its way to to its demise. Um, when we talk about the pipeline of leadership and and how strong leadership is, why does it seem as if uh, those in charge are reluctant to help mentor those who one day may invariably um, uh, take their seat? Ooh, ooh, I got or, it. I got it. So one, insecurity. Okay. Two, justified reluctance so to put in biblical terms uh, there is no such thing as a Judas less Christian ministry Jesus has 12 disciples one guy sells them out for 30 pieces of silver there's one of those in every ministry in every, in every ministry in every group the issue is you have to realize one uh, Judas takes care of himself so you don't have to worry about him two they actually help to you to advance your purpose uh, this is called resistance theory and, and leadership study and uh, three, ultimately, uh, you can't trust Judas, but you can trust Judas to be Judas. And so a lot of times I think we overcorrect because we've been hurt, disappointed, but someone that we've mentored before, tried mentor before and was not responsible so that now everyone else has to pay for that. But it also means we have no success because there's no success without a successor. Um, so I think that, that sometimes 
we don't recognize our own deficiencies, your first point about emotional intelligence and how it's being aware of who you are and where you are, uh, because we don't do the work on ourselves, we simply react versus act uh, pro- uh, proactively to uh, to do what we need to do to develop mm. new pipelines for people coming in. The other thing is we don't see it as being central to our own success and preservation. So part of the reason that we mentored before was because you realized the more of us were here, the more we likely we might be able to stay. Mm-hmm. John Maxwell talks about mm-hmm. that. That's that reproductive uh, leader, mm-hmm. I think it is. The leader that reproduces examples of himself is uh, much more capable of having his commonalities, his threads, his visions on, on different places. So you want to reproduce, but you suggest that one of the reasons is that we we just don't, most leaders are, are not inclined to do that. Well, they, I mean, you have, so again, biblical terms, Saul is insecure, David, oh man. You know, David killed us, Saul killed his thousands, David killed his 10,000. Yeah. They're gonna outshine me. Yeah. They're going, as opposed to recognizing that you get the credit for whatever it is they do if you're the one that's brought them up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. go, go, yeah, go I was ahead. gonna go back just, just to, to Matthew's point on insecurity. Um, you know, I, I think it, most of it is, it's centered around insecurity and, you know, there's a, there's a unwritten statement that says, you know, I will help you to be successful as long as you're not more successful than me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the, the moment that, you know, you surpass me, then it's, well, you owe me something because I'm the one who got you there. And so we have to be able to celebrate other people's successes even if they surpass us, right? And so the only way this thing works for us is if the person that we help su- actually does surpass us. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that that a part of the insecurity is we want to we want you to be successful, just not more successful than me. Yeah. So I, I when you touched on David and Saul, there's a book called The Tale of Three Kings by Gene Edwards. Changed my life um, because I felt like. Um, and that, and that story dealt with, as you know, Pastor, Reverend, uh, good doctor, um, how, man, how, how David managed Paul, Saul, Saul and Absalom, mm-hmm. the person who was over him and the person who was under him. Mm-hmm. And that, that book gave me a perspective uh, and it helped me deal with uh, my boss at the time who was a, a, a baby boomer and understanding how he communicated with me as opposed to uh, what it is or how I preferred him to communicate with me, right? Mm-hmm. I had to, I had missed the mark in understanding that he had a way in which he chose uh, to communicate. And because it was his ship um, that I needed to get on board with that. And that book changed uh, my mind, mm-hmm. it, it really did. And I think it was really the impetus for me moving into the space of leadership. Um, and, and also, you know, I'm influenced by Marine Corps General Chesty Puller. His, his uh, brand of, uh, of leadership uh, means uh, everything to me and how he moved. Um, who are some of your influencers? Well, let me, let me dovetail that real quick just to say that I think one of the interesting aspects of mentorship uh, study that I think is neglected is the role of accountability and authority, right? So generally, mentorship is viewed as a mutually beneficial uh, relationship uh, 
that one can opt in or opt out of at any point, right? Which is different, particularly in the, in the church where your mentor is your pastor mm-hmm. who can sit you down, who not only pours into you, but actually has authority over you. And the whole concept of authority is so anathema to our culture, not just millennials, but to all of us who are, have a millennial mentality mm-hmm. that I think there is an important element missing, right? Because there's something valuable about saying, let me save you from yourself before you hurt yourself. At this point, as, men, as, as mentors, we're sort of operating with a deficient toolbox because we no longer, in most cases, have the authority to be able to tell somebody, sit down and no, you're not gonna do that, I'm gonna take that it's off. It's not your time. Yeah, and, and because of that, I was saved from some stuff because I was sat down. Mm-hmm. Because someone said no, not just mentorship, but someone had authority mm. to save me from myself. Mm-hmm. So a mentor should be given that it should be both implicit and explicit that you are relinquishing some level of authority to, I, I, to your mentor. Yeah, I think, I think there are contexts. So for instance, you know, when you go into uh, martial arts, mm-hmm. your master is your master. Absolutely. They have a responsibility. You are ceding authority to them to have you basically dominion over you in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's interesting is we get into all this emotional intelligence stuff in very discrete areas, right? You don't see the military. You don't see the practice of medicine. You don't see it where like there are these very clear, finite, you know, results and stakes. Mm-hmm. It's not all this. Hey, let's all no. Yeah. It's listen. This is how it is. These are the, the the means by which you must you know matriculate, or you can't go. Yeah. And so I think that to the extent to which those are missing in other areas, I think sometimes I don't want to be too general, but I think sometimes you're missing out on something when you don't have somebody who can actually say no in your life. Mm. And if you don't, if your mentor can't say no and that no sticks, I think we have to come up with another term. Mm. Maybe it's mentor and not leader. I, I don't know the proper term, terminology. But it's different. But there's a missing element that's mm. vital. Yeah, and, and so when you, hit that, when you hit on accountability, right? And again, tying it back to the emotional intelligence, you know, the, the ability to manage other relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And so the notion of accountability, um, I, I think, is missing, um, uh, particularly um, whether the mentorship is uh, lateral or it's, it's horizontal, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, we have to, and it's particularly with our young people, right? So um, if, if, if I consider this brother my friend, um, I need him to hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. If you see me out of line, if, if, if you heard me say I want to be a good dad, I want to be a good husband, I want, and you see me doing something counter to what I said, mm-hmm. you have the authority mm-hmm. to hold me accountable. Right. Right. And so I think oftentimes, and I'll speak specifically on men, we don't want that accountability. Right. And so we, so, so we, we push it away and go, nope, you know, I don't, I don't need anybody. Uh, you know, did you see my degrees? Did you see my whatever? But the accountability component is often missing um, because either we haven't seen it play itself out or we haven't seen anybody benefit from it. For me, I too was saved from myself many, many, many oh days. Oh my goodness, yeah. Right, and, and even at this stage in my life, mm-hmm. I still have to welcome still people saved. into my life to say, I need you to hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. Because you know, w- w- when you have a, a plan for your life or whatever it is, if, if, if I don't share it with anybody, me sharing it, is me giving people permission to hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. So whether that's, I wanna start a business, I wanna start a ministry, I want to do whatever. When I share it, that's me 
inviting you in to hold me accountable. And yeah. and your refusal to share it is an indication that you don't want to be held accountable. Exactly. That one of the things I had to start learning about myself was if I'm working on something, I don't want to talk to anybody. That's because I don't want anybody talking me out of it. Mm-hmm. And if, if it's so bad an idea that I'm scared that somebody can talk me out of it, yeah, I don't need to be going forward with mm-hmm. it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So so it, it does. It is about placing yourself in a position where you don't confuse or conflate the right to make a decision right. with yeah. every decision being right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And generally, when you start trying to hold people accountable, they default back to, I have the right to, I'm grown, I'm a grown I'm blank man, I can yeah. do what I want to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's assumed that you can do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. But just because you can do it doesn't mean it's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we don't do that, you know, from a, from a business standpoint, if we take this back to, you know, from a, from a professional standpoint, we have uh, uh, business plans and objectives that we hold ourselves to quarterly, annually, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Somehow as individuals, we don't do that. We don't say, here's what I'm trying to accomplish this year, but I, this is where I need to be yeah, in right. three months. Whether it's health, whether it's spiritual, yeah. whether it's um, emotional, whatever that is, we don't necessarily reveal those things to say, I want to grow spiritually. So when you see me, you're going to be asking me questions. Why are you acting a fool? You didn't. And so we do it professionally, but we don't do it personally. Yeah, I was just about to say that. We spend our entire professional lives almost, you know, 60% of our days moving in space that can be assessed with metrics. Mm-hmm. But in our personal lives, we're not that much inclined to, to apply those same stringent, um, you know, assessments um, on, on, on whether it be wealth, spirituality, friendship, family, th- th- those goals. And, and that's, that's, um, that's shocking to hear because I know I, I've never said you know, this year I want to do this. And in order for me to be on target, month three, I need to be here, month six. I, I've never done that in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never applied metrics to what I was doing personally. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's one thing that I began doing, I don't know, probably five or six years ago. And I sat down with my lady, here's what I want to accomplish for me, Here's what I want to accomplish for us. And so I can't say that I want to be a, at a certain place, whether it's savings or investing or whatever, and I went out and bought a new whatever. Yeah. If that, Because she's going to go, yeah, that don't align with what you said That's we were right. going to do and where we yeah. were going to be. And so, you know, I've learned to apply the, apply the same rigor to my personal life that I do professionally. Because if, if professionally, I know if I'm winning or losing. Yeah. So... So if we're coming up, Matthew um, and Reggie, young, as young professionals, we need to have someone to make sure that we're not dressed like the emperor. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's what you're saying. We so, need to make sure that somebody is, is telling us what's, what's right and wrong. I, I have an accountability group. We've been uh, working together probably for at least 15 years or more. And one of the phrases we came up in that group was, lie to me, but tell the truth to yourself. And at some point you start hearing people self justify and, you know, and, 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 and it takes somebody who's been with you long enough to be able to say, yeah, that's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not right. So you need mentors to the point you made horizontally, but you also need them, uh, uh, lateral, um, lateral. horizontal and vo- vertical, vertical as well. Yeah. There's some things I'm not going to tell someone that I want to think highly of me to, to be proud of me. 
I'm going to tell them some things mm-hmm. because I want them to still be proud of me, mm-hmm. right? But I'll tell people on my level because I really don't care, Yeah. right? So you have to have somebody above you on the same level you, and then somebody you're pouring into as well. And I think that is central in terms of our, our full um, um, uh, uh, development as people. The second thing, though, is in terms of having a personal mission statement. So we get messed up because we're looking for clarity about our job. But you're, mm-hmm. you're, you don't really have job confusion. You have mission confusion. Because mm-hmm. if you had clarity about your mission, the job would be clear as to whether this is it or not. Mm-hmm. Right? Whether that's job, family, relationships, whatever it is, finances. If you're clear on your mission, your mission brings clarity to the subsets. The problem is we've made subsets the end goal. Mm-hmm. And the worst thing in the world is to find the thing that you are trying to get and to find that it's not what you need. So we got a lot of folks who got the position, got the money, and were like, yeah, this is, I was looking for something else, mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of what we try to do in mentoring is try to, hey, listen, I already paid tuition for that. People always say, you know, experience is the great, greatest teacher. Mm-hmm. I always contend that it's a good teacher, but the tuition's mighty high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I think that observation is, is a much better way to yeah, learn I than do. experience. Yep. If you gonna burn yourself, that if I learn that yeah. you burned yourself yeah, and yeah. I'm not into burning, yeah, yeah. then I think I've, I've I've come out of that thing better. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I scooped up this, uh, I don't know if it was in the Marine Corps or right out of the Marine Corps, but someone said to me that life is an open book test. Find the person that failed it first. Mm-hmm. Find the person that failed the test first mm-hmm. and find out what the hell they did wrong uh, and then go find some folk who who mastered it, but mm-hmm. you you absolutely want to know, and that that would speak to the experience um, being more valuable um, than than the uh, than paying tuition for it. And, and that goes back to the whole accountability notion, right? So I can do it on my own. I'm not going to share it. I can do it on my own, and I go, yeah, but the 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 time that it takes for you to claw yourself out of the pothole once you find it, once you fall in it. You're losing time. You mm-hmm. can't get that time back. And so those two ways that, that, that we learn, it's either our own experiences or somebody else's. I would much rather you tell me, hey, up the road to the left, there's a pothole. You may want to take your time going around that curve. Mm-hmm. And so and so, I, you know, it's it's funny. I'm coming back now to the question you asked 20 minutes ago. You know, when I look <laughs> at my mentors, um, I really have fundamental questions about my own ability and native skills that when I realize how many people have poured into me and how much they poured into me. Like, man, I, well, I was must, must not have been working with much. Yeah. Okay. So I, my father, my grandfather, both preachers, but because they were pretty prominent preachers, I also was connected to like every prominent preacher in black church coming up. So I knew these people personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got to Howard and I got to be mentored by somebody who was on the president's level. I got to know the president. In fact, I wrote a recommendation for one of the next presidents who was applying for the position. Then I got wow. to be, on the board of trustees, I'm sitting with you know Dick Parsons and Jack Kemp and you know Colin Powell and Vernon Jordan, all these folks, and then you know I so when I look back at my life, mm-hmm. I've had huge investments from people, but I so I can't credit myself with being this self-starting, super intelligent person, except I have the sense enough to recognize value and to put myself in a position of submission to be able to learn from it. Because what I've experienced now sort of being on the other side of the table is I've actually opened the door for mentorship that folks are not interested in to the point you were making, Reggie. I'll figure it out on my own. Well, you know, life is not something you really want to DIY, yeah. right? Like you really kind of want to, mm-hmm. you know, get a form that's already and just leverage that and keep it moving. Yeah. Um, 
but 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 there is an ignorance and an arrogance that comes uh, with I think a culture that that over empowers people to have a false sense of confidence in who they are. So a nugget for young folks or anybody coming up in any industry um, is the submission to authority when we talk specifically about mentorship. I think authority, I think acumen. I mean, I, I think that there are people who just can't even recognize that this person's been doing it longer than me mm-hmm. and they're probably better at it than I may be smart, but smart ain't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just by by submitting, just first of all, by submitting yourself, you ingratiate yourself to that person. Oh, who doesn't want to feel like an expert, Yeah. right? So if nothing else, you've, you've, you've got some relational equity just because you put yourself in a position. Now prayerfully, you know, it's not so transactional. That's all you're there for. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you you earnestly respect that person, and uh, you want to receive that which they want to give, and to the extent to which you also want to support what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So the other piece about mentorship, because you know the stat about you know uh, folks want coaches, not bosses. Well, not only do coaches uh, have authority to, to pick the players on the field, but also players make coaches great because when they win, the coach gets the credit, Absolutely. right? So mentees also need to see that they have a responsibility and a role in helping their mentor do better mm. to, ex- to every extent they can. Mm. And that's a conversation you don't hear at all. Yeah, I mean, because the notion of mentorship is really a two-way street. Exactly right. right, so we often say, well, it's the person that's you know older, wiser, that's passing down information, but it is a two-way street. You, there, there's value for the mentee as well that they're they're able to feed up and uh, provide insight to them it may not be about the same topic because the value of that mentee that's if it's an older uh, somebody who's a little more seasoned they well they they're in a different season in life so mm-hmm. what they're experiencing that mentor has already experienced but there's other things that uh, that mentee can can feed back to so in the, in the analogy of a sports team um, you know, the, the mentee is making the coach look or the players are making the coach look good as well. But it also speaks to the fact that we all intrinsically bring value or have value or add value. Yeah. And, and so that notion of the, the notion of, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps that does not exist. And in fact, it is one of the the the, 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 the the sayings that irks me more, because yes, sir. if you say pull yourself up by your bootstraps, it's assuming that we have a boot. You have a boot. You, you have straps. <laughs> Uh, but it also signifies this um, individualistic, I can do it on my own. Yeah. All I have to do is work harder, be smarter, attain more credentials, and then I can do it. Well, that's yeah. not, no, none of us, I don't care where you are, none of us did pull ourselves up from our bootstrap. Every, every time I hear someone talk about the bootstrap, I'm reminded of Martin Luther King's take on that. I think it was Ed Wallace that was interviewing him. Um, and he said, uh, first, my brother, you must... Uh, supply us with the boot, with mm-hmm. said boot, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that, and that's most of our plights. You know, we don't have a boot yet, much less a boot, a, a bootstrap. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, America should uh, probably have given all of us a pair of boots first uh, and foremost, and that 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 conversation would resonate just a little different, or as uh, the the folks say, it, it it would hit a little differently mm-hmm. um, if if we all had a pair of boots. Yeah. Um, so, um, for, for us at the foundation, uh, we have these, um, two sessions, um, twice a year. Um, and our our desire again is to produce uh, a highly transformational 
highly skilled, disciplined leader. And we've had some marginal form of uh, success in the three years that we've been around um, for uh, our ninth cohort. Uh, we're bringing in, um, you know, a cadre of leaders, another group of uh, another cohort. And every year, it's fascinating to watch how the cohorts bond. Um, and we're very intentional about doing some things and trying to eradicate the self selflessness and in sometimes in some instances highlight the selfishness that we have as individuals. For instance, um, we make it a point to say to individuals when when they get there that uh, there's no reason to size Matthew up, Reggie. Um, I've already checked. Everybody here is smart, right? Mm-hmm. So we're we're trying to break down these barriers that preclude people from seeing each other and the value that they have. We're also intentional by about calling people by their first names. Don't, this is no disrespect to the work that you've done to earn the degrees that you have. Um, and to my surprise, um, that isn't welcomed by, by everybody initially. Why, why, you know, what, what do you think that that speaks to? Role identity confusion. Role identity confusion. That went, it's, it's not mine, it's the issue yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> I'm get more credit than you. Um, but, but that when people are not, this, when people generally from insecurity uh, have a need to be fulfilled or satisfied, they fill it not internally, but through their role. Mm-hmm. So I am the president mm. as opposed to I serve as the president. Mm. Serving is a role. I am the president is identity. And once it becomes an ontological issue, well, we got issues because now all of a sudden I must maintain my presidency. It's no longer I'm trying to serve in the role to advance the institution. Now I have to protect myself because I and the institution are one. Mm -hmm. And whenever you have role identity, and it it doesn't happen just at the presidential level, but at all levels of the organization, that now becomes a challenge because no longer are you dealing with the issue. Now you have to deal with the individual who has attached themselves to the issue. Um, So a lot of times those those titles are foundational to that person's self-esteem. So if I take my title away, who am I? At the very core. But, and that's why we do it is now to let, let, let's deal with who you are because you are a leader and you're entrusted with leading. Um, it's important to uh, strip away the things that you associate or identify with. This is why people stay in that position too long. So yeah. in, the, in the church is why, let me just call it like it is. Somebody's 85 years old should have been out of the pulpit 20 years ago, mm-hmm. but they can't imagine a life for themselves outside of the pulpit. It's not financial. It's ontological. And until they get an identity outside of it, they're prepared to die in that pulpit. Yeah, I'd love to add a, a, a different perspective on that. I, I agree with the, the um, uh, people attaching themselves to the role, but I think about, you know, if, if I personalize it and I think about the journey, um, you know, there's something to be said for how we have to uh, interact in our communities, how we have to be so many things to so many people, um, and we don't often have a safe space to be who we actually are. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, I would say, you know, many of us don't have a safe space to to take off our mask and to take off our armor. And so, you know, the insecurity pop, you know, pops back in and say, well, who am I? I've attached myself to this role for so long, uh, probably too long. Uh, I've lost, you know, really who I am in a safe space to be transparent, to be authentic, to be vulnerable. And so now you're saying, hey, come into this space and take off your mask and take off your armor. Well, we don't often have those spaces unless we are intentional about creating them. We don't have them often to say, let's just take off my mask and take off my armor and truly be who I am because I have attached my identity to the role and I don't have a space where there's at home in my community, in my church. I have to be on and I have to be this person 24 seven. Now you're saying be vulnerable, Mm. check your credentials at the door. I, I'm, you're not Dr. Such and Such. You're actually you're actually Herman. You're actually Matthew. And so it's like, well, nobody's caught me that. When I go to church, they say, hey, you know, here's Dr. Such and Such walking in. When I go to my community function, they introduce me as Dr. Such and Such attached to this organization. Um, and so we don't have the safe spaces. You know, one thing that I had to fight against, um, even in the role that I'm in, and, you know, people may say, hey, here's this, here's the Coke guy. He's the vice president of, I'm like, no. I'm Reg. I just so happen to work for these cats. Yeah. Because I'm the same person, whether, you know, if they decide that, you know, our mutually agreed upon uh, value proposition is going to end tomorrow, I have to be okay with who I am and know that I can take that same value and add it to somebody else. But I'm not attaching me to it. And But that takes intentionality, right? So people see me as, hey, this is this guy with this position and I have to, no, I'm still, this is this still who I am. Don't, don't introduce me as the vice president or the, yeah. the 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 executive as you know. Thank you for respecting what I do, but that's not who I am. And and that's so important because without that, when you start drinking the Kool Aid, it really becomes cyanide. Absolutely. That that <laughs> when you really start feeling yourself and this is who I am, and you know, you just start making different decisions. Yeah. You start looking at at things very differently. Yeah. And I've gone down that path before, you know, and and God has a way of reminding us who oh. we really are, and oh, so. Yeah. So now I have to make sure that my daily prayer is to allow me to be to serve with a humble heart. Mm-hmm. That's that's the key, humility. Yeah, to serve with a humble heart, right? And so I'm still grateful for the gifts, talented talents, and courage that you've given me. But I have to show up with humility, knowing that I'm serving somebody in a position. Can can I testify, Reverend Reggie? <laughs> so so this is back in the in the early two thousands when you could just, you know, get a loan and, and do a deal on some real estate. And so I'm down in Miami and the deadline's coming up on whether I should do this condo deal. And I'm in Miami, man. You know, it's 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 an alternative it's universe. Miami, you know what I mean? I'm feeling myself. Yeah. I'm feeling like I'm the master of the universe. Yeah. I make this deal, make that deal, and I'm I'm gonna have me a place down here. Mm-hmm. Man, I signed that deal. And had to walk away from major money because the deal fell through. Now, had I been in my right mind, not feeling myself, not thinking myself more how than all, I never would have done the deal, mm-hmm. right? But when you start uh, confusing, you mm-hmm. know who you are with what you do, that's the that's a good way to get done. Mm-hmm. You know, There's hashtag a- ask hammer. Oh, <laughs> ouch! A- hashtag ask hammer. Uh, yeah. You know, that that really speaks to um, this book uh, that I read a couple of years ago called The uh, Derailed Presidencies. And it, it, it was a book that was solely dedicated on presidents 
who derailed their own presidency. Hmm. And it was so powerful to get these guys to be so candid. But one of the things that they talked about was the inability to surround themselves with people who would hold them accountable. Like there was, I mean, that was one of the reoccurring themes. And this all goes back to what we talk about before you get to the presidency. And what my research showed me was that those who are successful now, meaning haven't been fired, that's how I defined it, and were able to get multiple contracts, um, be it at different institutions or at the same, they all had mentors. Those who I researched who had failed presidencies had no mentors. They didn't talk to people on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Those who were successful, talk to people on a weekly basis. They had multiple, they had professional mentors, they had spiritual mentors, they had uh, personal mentors, they just had a plethora of them. Those who failed, they had uh, you know a few that they contacted um, and used them at important times. But this book, going back to uh, the point, was that wherever you are in your your journey, professional journey, and, and it doesn't matter the stratosphere that you're in, uh, mentorship is a vital uh, cog in the wheel. And if I, 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 I posit that if you don't have uh, mentorship, uh, then you'll make a lot of mistakes because mentorship will allow you the comfort to come sit with a person or call a person and be honest with them and tell them, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. No, that's a bad idea. Yes, this is a good idea, proceed. Um, so it's one of the things that I, I hope to make very clear to people, regardless of how old you are when you got a PhD and got your vice presidency and where you wanna go, if you don't have someone telling you when to sit down, uh, when to move, how to do it, um, you, you are, much more likely uh, to find yourself in a situation where you, you are making a, a mistake that has been repeated by, by many. So, so let me ask you, um, what's your take on peer-to-peer -peer mentoring? And really as it relates to health and the thing about the, the, um, the intellectual capacity and capability that's come through over the last three years, yeah. how do you create a space where peer-to-peer -peer mentoring can can, I don't want to say organically, but intentionally take, take shape. Yeah, it, it's, it's hap, it, has, it has happened for us organically. Um, there's about eight or nine of us in a group text, which we would all be considered to be peers. Uh, Rosalind Clark Artis, uh, the Dean, Walter Kimbrough, Roderick Smothers, uh, Michael Sorrell, um, Kevin Rome, um, there's there's a, a good group of us and then I'm in different pockets um, but all my peers um, I was talking to a president yesterday about an opportunity that's right in front of him right now and I'm I was honored that he called me but surprised uh, but then I I had to realize that peer-to-peer -peer, um, mentorship is some really good shit mm -hmm. really good stuff um, because you're more I think inclined to be on the same wavelength uh, of, of thought. Um, and so for us, it, it has organically happened intentionally. Hey, let's get, let's start a group text. 
and whether it be about um, processes with the Department of Education or how we manage um, the tugs that are on our lives or how we, we manage difficult situations with students, um, it is, it, it's shared uh, and starts with a text. Um, and then the, the commonality of being a, a leader in this space is that bond that, that, that is a magnet that ties us with each other mm -hmm. or attracts us. But I find it to be organic and fairly simple. Um, and it is with like minds, those peers, that's when you find the most, um, the, the, I, I think you find the, the, the appetite um, to have that peer-to-peer -peer yeah. interaction. The other thing I think is, is it further dispels the myth of rugged individualism that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Right. That um, it's one, I'm the seat of all knowledge. Yeah. But then two, I'm the only one that's going through this. Mm -hmm. Right. So just having, you know, uh, a band of brothers and sisters who feel the same pain, even if it's not to have an answer. Yeah. But to have a place of solace. Just to commiserate. Yeah. Sometimes. And, and that, that's tremendously helpful because it normalizes mm -hmm. the things that we're feeling and that we're fearing and that we're facing. Um, so that at the end of the day, I do have a sense that I'm not here by myself, mm -hmm. that, that somebody has, so at least they survived it. Yeah. So this yeah. doesn't have to be terminal, right? <laughs> um, but the other thing is, and I, I did not understand this for a long time, I thought that, that people were being elitist, and some people are, but generally when people segment themselves by profession or by income, it's not that they don't want to relate to others as much as you're relating to people who see the game at the same level, mm -hmm. right? right? And so it's hard for, you know, rich people only understand rich people's problems, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, okay, so I got money, you got money, but our kids are acting crazy. Well, mm -hmm. only a rich person can understand it because if I'm not rich, I have rich people, uh, poor people problems and kid problems, yeah. right? So those are, and there's a conflict themselves <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. in all the kinds of ways. So, so part of the great part about, I'm glad you raised it, peer mentorship is not just the technical side mm -hmm. of we can solve this, we can solve that, but I actually have a group of people who, who get my pain and, yeah. and I don't have to even explain it, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. Because only when you've been shot can you describe for somebody else what it's like to feel that, that right. bullet coming through your yeah. body. And, and to your point earlier, you know, I think we're more, we're less likely to be transparent and vulnerable with somebody we want to respect us, mm -hmm. you know, peer to peer, mm -hmm. Just We're more hey. likely to say, I'm about to screw this thing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need some help. Yeah. Because we're almost at the same journey or at mm -hmm. the same level. We see mm -hmm. it from the same vantage and point. And probably going through the same thing That's right. at the very same That's time. Right. Yeah. And and the comfort comes when when you have that space to say, Hey man, I am I'm I'm going through this right now. Well, you know what? I me too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or and, and then one chimes in and say, Oh, I already did it. This already happened to me. This is this is what's gonna happen to you, mm -hmm. and this is how you're gonna respond. Sure enough, and from those experiences, you build this this collegiality that is is predicated only on a shared experience. Mm -hmm. It's not about elitism, like you say, or trying to segment yourself from anybody else. It's just about a, a common group of people with a shared experience. And and these people are not local. That's right. True. Yeah. So a lot of times we look for peers within our local city and our local company. And oftentimes it's exactly the opposite. It's people who are outside of the space who can one, see our space for how small it is. Mm -hmm. That sometimes they can say, Hey, listen, you know what? It's a big old world out here. You're making, I remember one time I had to make a decision and I had twisted myself in so many different knots and I sat at a table and folks were like, yeah, so if that's what happens, then we'll just deal with it. And I was like, 
wait, no, no, I've been working on this for months. I put so much in it. And like, yeah, no, it's, it, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with it. Mm-hmm. And it just totally getting out of my own head yeah. freed me and delivered me. Sometimes that table is not a physical table. Sometimes it's a root text or a call because sometimes because you're local, you're a threat. Mm-hmm. And so because mm-hmm. we don't have, we don't play in the same pond, we can actually be closer, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Then people, oh, well, you know, I'm the big guy around here. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not looking around here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Proximity can be the devil. Um, so speaking of which, so let's reverse that. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you have to somebody who's an up and coming leader, but have isolated themselves? Mm. You gonna die. <laughs> a miserable death yeah. <laughs> by yourself mm-hmm. um, no 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 I would I would strongly encourage whether it be um, peer-to-peer um, I would strongly encourage folk to get to get active in this this space of mentorship um, sponsorship whatever they want to call it mm-hmm. friendship um, because uh, this is a cruel world, mm-hmm. um, the higher education space it is. And it is also about, um, it's a cruel small world. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the religious space, I'm sure that um, it is the same way. It's small, but um, it, it helps to be connected for so many different reasons. One, doors can open and doors can shut with a simple phone call, mm-hmm. um, the same, the same way you can, you can defeat yourself by going through these search processes, by being quiet mm-hmm. and assuming that you don't want to tell anybody because you don't want anybody in your business or you don't want to tell anybody because nobody can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, these, this space really operates with relationships. I get text messages all the time about, "Hey man, did you have X Y Z come through health? Who, who, you know, what are they like? Or I got a person from health that's applying. What are they really like? Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's benefit in getting to know people outside of what they can do for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more about what you can do for them. And I, I, I try to get people to really think about it with that reverse engineering." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you can actually do something for other people. It's not all of always about. Um, one of my buddies would always say, who I know does not define who I am. No, what I do does not define who I am. But if you get to know who I am, you can benefit from what I do. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to mentorship. You come into the circle, I'm going to benefit by proxy because I'm in the circle. But if you're outside the circle, if you're by yourself, Mm -hmm. you will lose when you're in a search against somebody who's connected to other people. Or you will lose simply because you have no proximity. That happens. So now a lot of times people, not a lot of times, but I'm certain that there are times when people rise on their own merits, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that having done the research and, and being mentored and mentoring and now doing this this uh, this service to health, man. If you if you don't have mentorship, you are you are doomed to stay in the right the right lane. Mm-hmm. Let, let me uh, let me do it this way. Everybody gets to be hot for a season. There you go. 
when your season is over, you better have some relationships. Mm -hmm. No doubt. I don't care what the industry yeah. is. Yeah. I don't care what whether it's music, whether it's fashion, academia, the church, corporate America. Everybody have a season where you are the one. You got the Midas touch. You know everything that you do is wonderful. And then guess what? There's some other cat who has it, yeah. and you're not it. How and if you, you were a jerk during the season, if you were a jerk when you had it. I hope you saved a lot and you don't need anything from anybody else because people have long memories. Mm -hmm. And so I have seen it so many times. I'm like, ooh, that's a lot of Kool-Aid. <laughs> ooh, you may want to cut that baby because, ooh, I see the next season. It's no, not going to look good. No and, and so, you know, um, there's a story I, I tell very briefly about a gospel artist who came at a very premium rate and gave us a lot of issues in terms of all their handling and stuff. And we tried to work with them. Mm. They came, I went to hand them their check. Person said, uh, give it to my manager. I'm like, sir, this is your check. You can give it to my manager. Oh, okay, no problem. So a few years later, ain't no more albums come out. And uh, my musician called, hey, so-and-so's in town. Wanna know if they can come and play. Uh, they, they'll cut their rate uh, from a quarter, uh, from 25% from what it was before. Tell them, I said, the same hand they couldn't take a check from last time. Yeah, still here. A few years that passed. Hey, so-and-so called. They'll come for free if they can sell their CDs. Tell them, I said, the same, I don't know if this is scriptural or forgiveness, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. the same check they could have a hand they couldn't take a check from last time is still here. Mm -hmm. You're not always going to have all of your expert power to bring you relationships will, well, character will keep you and relationships will keep you where your gifts bring you. Mm -hmm. mm. And if you don't have character, if you don't have gifts, you are what we call a one hit wonder. Mm. That's it. You know, that, I, that was I mean, good I'm, there. I'm almost, <laughs> you know, speechless because you, you deal with it in this, this space, you know, you bring speakers to your campus and um, the administrative assistant is the litmus test. Mm -hmm. You know, hey, Miss Miss Walker, how was dealing with X Y Z? Oh, it was bad, sir. Okay. Next time homecoming rolls around and everybody's excited to its point, can we do? No, 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 mm -hmm. no, no. As my son, my five year old, would say when he's a, you know. Uh, you know, in opposition to something. No, 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 no. <laughs> you say Reggie Bean. No, 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 no. We can't. We can't even bring Reggie mm -hmm. Bean because um, his soft skills were non-existent. His um, emotional intelligence. His emotional. Did, did intelligence. that happen in the corporate world? Oh, absolutely. Really? Absolutely. What does um, that look like? So it it will be the same. Uh, it's just a little more um, immediate. <laughs> you know everybody uh, everybody has uh, everybody's hot for a season mm -hmm. they got the Midas touch mm -hmm. um, and all it takes is for you to get cold transferred to another department all it takes for you to get caught up in a reduction in force mm -hmm. and you know if you hadn't nurtured relationships and you had, you know and, and you hadn't exemplified the best character you know you're gonna you're gonna be humbled at some point mm -hmm. yeah and it's how do you handle being humble mm -hmm. And can you pick up the phone call and say, look, I got caught up in this. Can you, you know, co-sign me, stamp me in, you know. Or when people see you call, it's like, yeah, straight to voicemail. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, it, I mean, it happens in the same space, but it's it's a little more immediate because um, 
you don't have tenure of a professor mm-hmm. or you don't have yeah. you know you know the, the staff that mm-hmm. you know it, it, people are around for longer ten years of time. Mm-hmm. The corporate world is happening on a regular time. Mm-hmm. It's happening real time, and so every eighteen to twenty four months, seats are changing. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and that's during good and bad times. So mm-hmm. I mean, things are just constantly changing, and so if you don't have that relational equity and you and you can't um, and that's within the organization. And so, you know, if you're going across organizations, if you've not nurtured relationships outside of that organization, then shame on you. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. So everybody's hot for a season. So leveraging um, positions and spaces that you occupy um, is 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 more, almost more valuable than than being. Well, I won't say more valuable, but it is just as necessary as being excellent in that space at the same time. Sure. I mean, a new president is coming, mm-hmm. right? And and that new president may be like a basketball coach. We're going to get rid of all the coaches and bring in our own staff. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I recognize about, you know, the, the group of presidents with your father that is existent or was existent that is not as um, um, prevalent now is that when one of those cats got fired or left, they were an executive vice president at one of their partners' colleges almost the next week. Right? And, and you see the same thing with the NFL, NBA. Yeah. How many head coaches do you see yeah. on the sideline mm-hmm. as the you know defensive? In or the offensive? same season, yeah. sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. And and we're so I, I think we have a ton of cowardly leadership as well in this space. Mm-hmm. And you know, people might not like to hear this, but I you know. I, I think it's the truth. We don't have people who are strong enough to say, yep, he was terminated over here um, and I'm going to give him an opportunity to be with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to rehabilitate him because he's he's got or him or her because they have they still have value. And they may have been terminated because it wasn't a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we are very quick in this space to ostracize people who fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes falling is being intentionally tripped. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, running off the clip on your own. It's being intentionally tripped, but it all looks the same. I'm, I'm glad you used the word cowardly because Ronald Heifetz uh, in his book, uh, Leaders Spun the Line, basically said that, that leadership comes down to courage. It does. And at the end of the day, you got to make some calls mm-hmm. that are designed to ruffle or just set people off and you have to suck it up and do it. Or if you fail to do it, it is a failure of leadership. There you go. We don't call it cowardice. We call it a failure of leadership, but that's what it is. Yeah. It's I didn't now, now all of us have to make pragmatic decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fight all, all the time. But there are times when you have to, and, and one of those things that we don't see much now in our culture, we live in a disposable culture, mm-hmm. right? So everything I have in my life, basically I can throw away and start all over again. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that now with people, yeah. right? And there are great, to your point, there are great people who, and, and I've, I've seen it firsthand as, as, as a person who's, you know, been a son of the parsonage and whose father also held political position. I've seen not falling, but tripping. Yes. Somebody, you know, uh, or not even tripping, pushing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and yet the reaction was the same. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why sometimes, you know, as African-American community, we get uh, dinged for being too forgiving. 
That's because we've been, where so much have been pushed. That's right. Mm-hmm. That we know, hey, right. I Absolutely. don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it may have been a setup, you know, because yeah. all of us have somebody who's been set up. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. What, what, what pains me about the space, too, is that, you know, we're really quick to relish in somebody's demise uh, in this space. You know, they, they'll go into group chats and, and talk about, with, without context, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't, I made it a point. Um, and I, it didn't stick with me even when I wasn't a president, but certainly do not send me a chain email about another institution mm-hmm. failing, mm-hmm. the leader failing. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to care about that, and I don't want to celebrate that. Well, I mean, I think because you're, immature, you're, you're mature enough to understand that we all represent each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so one failure in some form or fashion is reflected upon the other yeah. institution. That's great. So, you know, you can't shine while somebody else is failing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just not, I yeah. mean, you, you can, but it's going to be short-lived. Yeah. And so I think once you realize that how connected we are mm-hmm. and somebody else's failure, when you go to the next sponsor, vendor, partner, they're going, well, you, you're a part of that circle as yeah. well. Yeah. But they couldn't come through. They failed. So are you, and so we, we all represent each other in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. So. One failure leads to another. And so I definitely see it in the corporate space. And, and, and especially being in spaces where I was the first or the youngest or the, you know, mm-hmm. a trailblazer in some form or fashion, I know that if I don't get this right, there ain't going to be another one. That's right. Yeah. There, there ain't going to be another one. Mm-hmm. So I need to get this right and I need to make sure I pull the right people with me, not anybody, the right people, because I know that we represent each other. And when we got to have those conversations, like, look, I'm gonna help behind the scenes. I'm gonna help you succeed mm-hmm. because if you don't succeed, then we fail. Because mm-hmm. there won't be another. You know, there people have long memories. Yeah. So your dad probably opened the door for Hayward Strickland, Billy Hawkins, Jimmy Jenkins as the youngest. I couldn't relate with your dad. Walter Kimbrough opened the door when they went to. There was this pendulum shift to where everybody wanted a seasoned leader mm-hmm. to lead at their HBCUs. Well, when Walter Kimbrough came through, he did exceptionally well, and it started the leak, the drip, for boards to now think about, hmm, maybe we can take a chance with some young leaders. And then Kimbrough, you know, Kimbrough came through, then Sorrell came through, then Artis came through, then Smothers came through. I mean, and and now there's this, we hot now. The young people are hot now. And if we don't get it right, if we don't come out of our shelves, if they're not a part of help, which they all are, they all understand that we have a fiduciary duty um, as well as a duty to the culture um, uh, to make sure that we keep the door wide open so other folks can come through. Um, yeah. You that, think, think, think Sean McVeigh. Yeah, L.A. Rams. Yeah. And now yeah, yeah. he was hot. Now everybody's looking for the next Sean McVay. Mm-hmm. Although you know people fail to realize that he has one of the longest tenure, you know, offensive, coordinators. offensive coordinators. It's like okay, yeah. yeah, he's the hot one, but yeah. he has. I, I think of my man name. Um, I can't think of his offensive coordinator. He's the oldest, one of the oldest offensive mm-hmm. coordinators in, in the, the league, in, the, in the league. And mm-hmm. so yeah, you have you can have the hot one, but you still need to have that experience around you to still help guide you. So I look at that as that's Sean McVay's mentor. 
I think Common said it best in, in glory. We need the, the wisdom of the old people and the energy of the young. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's never a bad combination. And you don't, you don't necessarily have to have young people at all. It could be, you know, a group full of sage and it could mm-hmm. be a group full of, of, of youth. Um, there's no magic or right potion. Um, but if, if, if the young are not pulling from the wisdom of the sage, I can guarantee you there's going to be some problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, I think the, the, the net result of what we're saying is practices of great principles are better. Mm. Practices are generally limited to their locale. Principles universal, and so if you learn the principles of emotional intelligence, you learn the principles of character, you learn principles of integrity. Those things will port with you, and will over time do you better than whatever hip practice, mm. you know, neat trick you've got. Because that stuff has to be renewed and refreshed. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Apple all the time. They ain't yeah. got no more new smartphones. <laughs> they charge forty dollars for a cord because they can't come up with a new phone. That's mm-hmm. right, right. And so again. Um, what are they doing to innovate as a company beyond the technology, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and that's where I think you know the big four, Facebook, Apple, Google, and, and Amazon, are now struggling. Okay, mm-hmm. so we've squeezed all the juice we can out, out of this, this. lemon, mm-hmm. right? So now we actually have to become something else. Mm-hmm. It's not doing something else; it's being, being something, something else, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And that's principle based. That's not practice based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. Go ahead. Can I go back yeah, to your yeah. point on um, really making sure that we're successful? Uh, you know, now that becomes a recruitment tool, right? So how do you, if, if the younger leaders are successful, you may have um, talent from predominantly white institutions that are looking going, well, I want to at some point come over here mm-hmm. and try to be successful. Well, if they're looking going, well, none of these folks have been successful, I'm kind of going to stay where I'm at. Yeah. The reverse can happen as well. So you have somebody who's been successful in an in a HBCU mm-hmm. lane. They're looking at a predominantly white institution. Mm-hmm. That institution is going, what's the, where's the track record? Yeah. How many people within this space have been successful? And so, you know, th- th- there's the cross-pollination of once I get out of my lane, we still need to have a track record for each other mm-hmm. that's going to validate, you know, yes, I can be successful in these spaces also. It's one of the main reasons why health is um, centered around producing leaders, not vice presidents, not BVPs, not presidents, but leaders. And I think at the end of the day, if you are um, building community of communities of practitioners um, and and those practitioners are um, serious about their craft, uh, they they will potentially or eventually rise to wherever the good Lord and the good book says that uh, they will be, uh, and they are meant to be. Um, this has been um, this has been dope, um, been cool, and uh, like all the other podcasts that we've had, um, we rarely we've never actually um, had a script passed or talked about what we're going to do. We've, we've always did things in a fluid manner, which um, I, I credit the success of health uh, to. Um, we, we are all just intuitive and fluid, and it, I think it speaks volumes about the people that we surround ourselves with and, and the people that we're fortunate enough uh, to come in contact. So I want to I wanna thank you, brothers, for um, taking the plunge and, and just coming to sit down and, and having a conversation. But... Um, 
professionally and personally, I want to thank you for, for the mentorship as well, peer to peer. And uh, I, I consider all of you to be mentors, both of you to be mentors for me. Um, and I want to thank you for what you do uh, for me and, and what you will benefit, um, or how Wiley uh, will benefit. And, and I'm sure this po- podcast will be beneficial to some higher educational leaders that are plugged into the space. Do you guys have any uh, final uh, words that you'd like to leave with on, on, on anything, uh, in particular mentorship and the value of well, it? I, I just start by saying thank you. Um, this this is uh, I'm all juiced and excited. Um, uh, there used to be a, uh, a bishop who would call certain people and say, "Bishop, what do you need?" Bishop would say, "I just wanted to have an intelligent conversation with somebody." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. It, it, made, it. it meant less to me then mm-hmm. than it does now. Yeah. I, was, I appreciate yeah. being around people who see the game at the same level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so thank you for creating the space and being a curator of it, and uh, and I and I'm I'm just excited about the trajectory, not just of Wiley, but also of health and where your leadership and others are taking it, because I see it as central to what Roger was saying before that we literally are tied together, yeah. and and none of us are going to make it without the others, and so this gives me hope. Yes, uh, we're not where it's not always found. So thank you. I appreciate it, man. Wow. So. It. Yesterday was National Day of Prayer, and uh, with the you know the tag of loving one another, mm-hmm. and um, you know oftentimes we love people we like, and uh, we don't love people who are difficult to love, and so within that circle we are all tied together. And we are we all aren't lovable as we think we are, mm-hmm. and so sometimes we got to put our arms around each other anyway, mm-hmm. and because we're all accountable, we're going to all be held accountable for each other at some point. And so I too would like to thank you. Um, for the opportunity just to have that intelligent conversation. Uh, the one thing that I would leave us with that I don't think we do enough, I, I'll say as men because there's men in a room, but just as people is just remind us to celebrate each other. Yeah, yeah, no, we don't do that. You know, we're quick to, to send a group text or a group chat or, or to post somebody's demise on a social media platform. But we don't we don't we don't celebrate each other enough. And so I just want to encourage us just to celebrate another year of marriage, another uh, promotion on a job, another, you know, your child is one year drug free, whatever that is. Just we just don't. I want to encourage us to celebrate each other more. The stuff that really matters. Yes, absolutely. I think we were talking about that yesterday Mm -hmm. over some crawfish uh, and some good old catfish. Yeah. Um, Things that matter now. don't look like what they used to back then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the cars and material things. You're much more moved now by um, seeing people go to places and spaces that, that they've always wished for. Um, and you, you know, but me personally, my, my kids, you know, my son moved to Atlanta, got a car on his own and moved into his space and place and, you know, celebrating that. That, that, that matters more to me than me being... Um, you know, thought of as a president, you mm-hmm. know, being thought of as a father matters much more to me. Um, and as a, you know, a loving husband and all those things, those things matter. Those intangibles uh, yeah. matter most. But plus you don't know who needs a, a little nudge or just a, a word of encouragement. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, we talk about the safe spaces earlier. We, we don't know from a mental health standpoint, what somebody's dealing with. Yeah. 
right? And so, you know, when you're, you, you get a text that says, hey, I appreciate you, I love you, proud of you, whatever that is, yeah. you don't know what that can do for somebody. Yeah, it, it, because we do know, uh, thanks to the Reverend here, that African-Americans are committing suicide um, 30% more than they were a decade ago or so ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I just had to deal with three suicides in the professional space. Um, so I manage 85 or so chaplains within our organization and three suicides within the last 45 days, 25 or younger, all young black brothers. Wow. Mm. Wow. All did it at work. Mm. So imagine that. Like I'm, 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 I can't deal with whatever I'm dealing with at life, at, at home. Let me come to work and do this. And mm. so the ripple effect, and so now you, you're you're sending support in for their colleagues and the, the you know the trauma for the person who found them, and and so you know it, who knew what they may have been going through, or how a word of encouragement could have changed the outcome of the situation. Mm-hmm. And 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 the word of God, not to say where they were were not spiritually, mm-hmm. but we can say statistically that we are less faith of people than we were. Sure but because our condition in this country has not changed. There's a reason we've been faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's because we had to to survive. Sure, absolutely. And so with the notion of being post-racial and adopting religious practices that people with privilege could, because the society is built for you, sure. leads you sometimes at a deficit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so part of the challenge, and, and, and part of the reason I think we are less faith is because uh, the culture itself has its teeth set on the edge against faith uh, so that while I'm not a, a household name now, let me go out here and do something stupid and the, ha- and the headline around the world be pastor does X, Y, and Z. I can yeah. be much more infamous than I can be famous. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence, the culture has now taught a generation, hey, watch that. They're all crook. They're all this. They're all that. As opposed to a generation ago, this is a position Noble. to be respected Absolutely. not to be confused with God but yeah. but to be mm-hmm. admired and so because of that uh, I think YouTube views are replacing what sermons used to be mm-hmm. my definition of pastor is whomever has the right to speak into your life authoritatively and so whether that's Wendy Williams or whether that's you know mm-hmm. uh, Jay-Z or whomever it is whoever you says something and you believe it because they say it, mm-hmm. that's your pastor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if they're not giving you something that is substantive and life giving, then you get the fruit that's of that world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mentorship and, and fellowship is not only good for you spiritually, um, professionally, but it could literally save your life. Well, and, and what he's talking about though, because we use safe terms, mentorship, coaching, it's really pastoring, mm. right? So what you just heard him say, he couldn't say it, but what he's just said is, I supervise 45 pastors. Pastor. What he said is, I pastor pastors. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. And their job is to pastor those persons that are under their charge. But when we call mentoring and coaching, mm. what we're really saying is your job is to shepherd, shepherd these people into where they need to be. And sheep, uh, I mean, Jesus is pretty gangster. I know this isn't a sermon, but Jesus is pretty, he called the people sheep. He basically said, you all don't see far, you're not real bright, and you follow each other, mm-hmm. right? And so if you don't have a good Those shepherd- Those are characteristics of, of sheep. sheep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, and he was yeah. saying people who took care of sheep. Yeah. So they knew exactly what he was saying. Yeah. And that's not different because we have smartphones and stuff. We think we're smart, 
but we're still sheep. Mm-hmm. Nothing about the human condition mm. has changed. And so we need, whether we call it with spiritual language pastoring or whether we want to use secular language mentoring and coaching, none of us does this thing on our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that word, Reverend Reggie. <laughs> sure. Sure, Deacon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brothers, for coming out. It's um, truly, um, truly a blessing. Um, and uh, looking forward to uh, many more conversations like this. Over and out.